0: Welcome to the Two Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 144 unread books on my shelf. With me is my brother, Andrew. Hey there. My husband, Dylan. Hello. Who is the sound recordist and a stand-in today for our absent host... I'm Toby. La la la. Today, we also have, guys, Andrew, are you ready for this?
1: I, I think so. This has actually been dropped at me like last minute, yeah. so I don't know if I'm prepared.
0: Okay. Well, we have a special guest joining us to talk Northanger Abbey. Oh, I love it. Is it Jane Austen? I wish it were. Hello. Oh, there she is. It's... No. It's Toby! (laughs) Yes! We
1: couldn't keep you away.
2: You absolutely could not. You know when you start a joke and then you look out across the barren desert landscape of what you have planned next to say? (laughs) That's what happened when I started that silly Jane Austen voice. Also based on the Miss Doubtfire voice. I was going to
0: say, it sounded like (laughs) Mrs. Doubtfire. Toby, you know, explain why you're here. You're not supposed to be here. Not that I'm not thrilled that you're here. I'm very
2: thrilled, but... First of all, I'll say... There is no historical evidence that Jane Austen did not sound exactly like Mrs. Doubtfire. (laughs) And I'm here uh, because, you know, when you're going to take a really long road trip, um, sometimes you take your very old vehicle to the shop expecting that they'll like, you know, tighten your brakes or whatever, give you an oil change. And then sometimes they say, hey, buddy, you're not going anywhere (laughs) for the time being. Uh, So that's what happened to me uh, and my wife. Um, The trip is delayed by a couple weeks. So I'm on this episode. Hooray.
0: Toby, do you have terrible luck with cars? It seems like every time you're going to (laughs) take a long trip, your car breaks down.
2: I do not have terrible luck with cars, given the vintage of cars that I usually have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So...
1: Hmm. hmm. This
2: car is two <laughs> years older than me. Um, so, you know, driving it across the country is a dicey prospect.
0: Toby, you know, this is just a thought. Like, what if you saved some money from the mechanic and bought a newer RV?
2: Oh, that'd be such a great plan if I hadn't spent the last, you know, (laughs) eight months working on this vehicle every single weekend. No, realistically, like it's fine. It's going to be great. Um, It just, you know, the cooler way to do this, like the more Instagram friendly way is to buy a new Sprinter van. Mm -hmm. And we are like many, many tens of thousands of dollars underneath that, you know, what that would cost. So I'm not sweating too much.
0: Awesome. Well, we're glad you're here. We're excited that... You read Jane Austen. This is our first Jane Austen on the podcast, which is very exciting. And
2: also a little surprising. I know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Okay, we can't give away our review quite yet.
2: Andrew, take back that surprising.
1: (laughs) Well, it's just surprising because I think Bailey has like four Jane Austens and I have about five. So it's it's kind of surprising that it hasn't come up yet. Yeah. Just mathematically. I
2: know this isn't a math podcast. (laughs) How many times do we have to say it?
0: Well, I had a birthday and I got some shame thanks to all of you.
1: Mm, You're welcome. You are welcome.
0: It's not too bad, though. So I only acquired three books, one from each of you. Thanks for not going overboard. And of the three books I got, I already read two because they were graphic novels.
2: I just like the idea of like a convicted murderer being like the final defense is, well, it could have been more. You know what? (laughs) Yeah. Could have been more.
0: Could have been more. Uh, So one of them was Through the Woods by Emily Carroll, which is from Toby. It is a graphic novel. That's a collection of creepy short stories. That's really good. Super quick read. I think I read it in like an hour, Um, but I loved Mm it. Awesome imagery, really creepy stories. And I don't know, I would like to see her make a make a horror film. Like an animated horror film that'd be cool so thanks for that toby and then with andrew's You're gift welcome. certificate i bought a signed cap- copy of allison Beckdell's the secret to superhuman strength which is her latest memoir that talks about her relation to exercise and i liked it okay and this was on me huh. i got it for myself i liked the parts that were about her life but then she got into the history of exercise and i was less interested in that part
1: allison take notes from bailey yeah <laughs>
0: And then mm-hmm. uh, the last book was from Dylan. This is the one I haven't read. This is The Searcher by Tana French. This joins the other two Tana French novels on my uh, to-read list, but I'm excited. Um, but to make up for it, I did also read a book off the to-read list, which is the second in Lee Bardugo, Bestie Bay, Best Friend.
3: That's a weird title for it. Yep. Yeah, it is on. <laughs> Yeah,
0: her her trilogy, Grishaverse? What's the trilogy Shadow- called? Shadow and Anyway, I read the second one, Siege and Storm. I have some thoughts, but I'm not going to say because I know Andrew's reading the first one. As is our mother.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was going to say, Billy and Andrew's mom was asking me if she should watch the show. And I said, like, well, I haven't watched the show yet because Billy's going to watch it. But first she has to read you know, the trilogy and then the follow-up books before she even touches the show. Like, I
0: don't have to read the follow-up books. I have to read the first three and then Six of Crows because I can't read Six of Crows before I read the first three.
3: Netflix must love you. That's right.
0: <laughs> well, Leigh Bardugo must love me because I bought all these books. Now yeah,
3: we bought our apartment.
0: Um, have you <laughs> continued the series yet? Toby, are you holding off?
2: No, I, um, I started that second book that you just finished, mm-hmm. but I did it back to back with the first one on like the same weekend, and that was a mistake. I can never do – so I, I paused, and I said I'm going to come back to that book. Gotcha, gotcha. So, yeah.
0: That's fair. Does anybody else have any yeah. deep, dark shame? I have
1: semi-shame,
0: Ooh.
1: which is that for your birthday, Bailey, I gave you that gift certificate encased in a book that you already owned, which I have now taken on, <laughs> the orphaned book, We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Berry. Mm-hmm. So I've taken that and put it on my shelf. I'm actually going to try to read that sort of quickly, so hopefully it won't actually end up on the shelf. But I know it is on your to-read list, so I'll just be super prepared when it gets drawn. But yeah, no, no other official shame to report. Um, though I would like to say, on a different note, apologies. If my audio is a little funky today. I'm recording for the first time in a new place yay, yay. in my new house. Yay, yeah. Greetings from Woodstock, New York.
3: We've gone upstate. Andrew and
0: Jillian purchased a house. They are homeowners. This is unthinkable for millennials. We're so proud of you.
3: Just think of it like Toby buying an RV, but without wheels, (laughs) if that helps (laughs) visualizing.
0: Andrew, do you want to share what happened the night after your first night in the new house? (laughs)
1: Well, as new homeowners, the first thing that, of course, we had to deal with was unprecedented rain in the upper um, in upstate New York. And we woke up to a leak in our living room literally less than 24 hours after buying the
2: house. Wow. Very similar to taking your house to the mechanic and then then telling you you need many thousands of dollars worth of expensive work to it. (laughs)
1: Luckily, I mean, it was like I mean, it was Hurricane Elsa, like historic rain that had not happened in years. And it was a tiny leak that we can't. We actually left for a couple of days after like covering everything in the living room in plastic and putting down a hundred different buckets. Uh, and then we came back. It must have only leaked for about 15 minutes more. So, I mean, it was probably much to do about nothing, but we are going to have to get it checked out and hopefully fixed so that it doesn't become a problem down the line. Yeah, it was definitely a rude awakening to owning a home.
2: Yeah. So, Andrew, would you say you like you're cursed when it comes to buying houses or like you have extra bad luck? I mean, considering I've only bought the one house. Ah, um, so it's 100%
3: now. (laughs) You're 0 and 1 of buying houses without
2: leaks.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, We were in our childhood home, Andrew and I, and Dylan came too. And we went through my old childhood books and our childhood Beanie Babies. And that was really fun. There were 100, how many would you say? Like 200, Andrew?
1: So we played a game as we were doing it, which we, we tried to see if we could remember the name of the Beanie Baby.
0: It was a vicious competition.
1: We had a very, very bad return rate on getting hmm. them correct. So imagine like that magnified by a lot to get to the number that there actually were there. Yeah, Because we definitely got like four out of five incorrect.
0: Yeah. We had um, Jillian hold up the Beanie Baby and then we counted <laughs> to three and we had to say what we thought the name was. And this went on for hours. Andrew beat me. But uh, it was fun because I put up a picture on Instagram and a lot of Pedro's had opinions because Andrew and I had another debate, another. Uh, fierce competition over whether I should take off the tags because I want to take off the tags so our daughter can play with them but Andrew's like well why take them off they've been on there for you know 25 years to
1: be clear there are there was a separate box of about 50 Beanie Babies that did not have tags I just didn't see the point of (laughs) creating all that trash when there were 50 other Beanie Babies that Maggie could play with and she was only semi interested in them
2: I say cut the Beanie Babies in half and then we'll see who really loves the Beanie Baby more
0: (laughs) Well, Andrew, this was your week. This was your time. You read a book from your <laughs> shelf, chosen at random. What book did you read? I read Confederates in the Attic,
1: Dispatches from the Unfinished Civil War by Tony Horwitz.
0: Uh-oh. That's
1: my... Yeah, you guys, were you guys each trying to think of something to say? Yeah, bump, I don't bump, know bump, anything. And then realize it was about Confederate mythology? I just, yeah. I just said, uh-oh, that's it. <laughs> So, I don't know how popular this book was or is. I bought it because I was at a bookstore and it has a very sort of striking cover of this Confederate soldier, but it is, turns out not to be, and we'll talk about that maybe later on. Um, back summary paragraph intrigued me enough, but it
3: seems to be like a book that maybe every dad in America has read. I don't know if that's accurate.
0: Well, I know one dad that read it.
3: Yeah, it definitely was popular in the 90s because my family had one and I think my yeah, my dad read no, I'm it. I'm talking
0: about you, Dylan. You read and I, it. Yeah, I
3: said my dad read it and then I read it in middle school and then I <laughs> didn't remember anything about it so I didn't like I reread it for the podcast. You became a dad and you had to reread it. Yes. That was the law. She gave birth mm. and then it's like, okay, there's something I must do.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I I think isn't the isn't the man on the cover like winner of the grumpiest looking fellow in the universe contest? Is this <laughs> the man we're talking about? Uh, yeah, he looks super grumpy, but he's
1: actually a character in the book. It's a, it's, a, it's a photograph of a of a main character in the we book. We get to yeah. find out why he's so grumpy. He's not actually that grumpy, and that's sort of the weird thing about him. Whoa, he's kind of weird. <laughs> Tell us more. Um, I will say, it surprised me to learn that this book was published in 1998, especially with all the conversations that are in you know the country now about how we remember the Civil War, and it's shocking how little has changed, and in fact, how maybe it's even gotten weirder. So a little sort of summary about what this book's all about. Confederates in the Attic is journalist Tony Horowitz's uh, record of his multi-year Civil War lark, he refers to it as, uh, in which he sort of re-examined this obsession he had as a youth about the Civil War by diving into how it is remembered specifically in the American South. And he takes a lot of different tacks. He traveled all around different states and uh, examined how the story of the memory of the war versus the facts of the war, and then sort of seeing how it has sort of grown, morphed, and I would say, and I think he would say festered in many ways. This
0: sounds very hmm. timely,
1: Andrew. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, weirdly. I, that's why I was surprised to realize yeah. this came out in 1998, because I hadn't ever heard about it until I bought it like a, two years ago at a, at a store. I bought it since this podcast has started, assuming it was a recent release. Um, but yeah, so it's a kind of a travel log. It's that's sort of how it's laid out is divided into about 15 chapters that each have a heading that's a state that he's visiting and then a story that encompasses a different aspect of how the war has been remembered or how it has sort of entered the end of the 20th century when the book was written and it's really interesting it kind of reminded me of of a written down version of like a this american life podcast piece Mm -hmm. and i know that Mm. one of the chapters in the book originated as a piece from the new yorker and actually one of my pros is the episodic nature of the book makes each section a little bit easier to digest because some of them are way darker than other ones so if you're really bogged down in one that's like really hard there's a a section that involves a a town murder over the confederate battle flag oh boy yeah that one gets really dark it's hard to get through. But you also know that at the end, you're going to get an entirely different angle and maybe an entirely different story in the next chapter. So you're able to realize that each of these vignettes can like live on their own and you can appreciate or be horrified or whatever by each of them. And then you can move on and have an entirely different story in the next thing. So it, it it's a, a satisfying way to read, um, hmm. I found. And it, at its core, it's an exploration of a sort of dark fact of America, um, but it's told in a way that's really easy to engage with. I think he does something that a lot of maybe travelogue or nonfiction writers struggle with, which is that he clearly has his position. And his position is one that I would argue probably aligns with my personal beliefs closely. But he avoids talking down to people or about them. He makes it very clear what he believes in, and you don't leave it being too worried about what his personal beliefs are. But he doesn't also spend half of his page length like decrying the things that he's putting out. He's presenting the facts of certain parts of America So that's interesting.
3: And he does a really good job of if he doesn't like a person, he just gives them enough rope to hang themselves where like he visits some really crazy Confederates that like sell a lot of pro-slavery merchandise or uh, still believe in like, you know, South Rising or a lot of pro-slavery people. But he interviews them in the way he describes them talking. The reader is horrified and he doesn't describe them as monsters. They're just monsters on their own.
1: Exactly. And something I will say, just sort of related to that, but also entirely unrelated, he has a gene that I do not have in any way, where he keeps talking about being like, and so I just went to this place. I didn't know anybody. And I started talking to somebody. Then I went over Mm -hmm. to their house and I I spent like four days with this person. (laughs) That is my nightmare. He is constantly describing my nightmare, but it made the book so much better that he has the like ability and the natural inclination to really ask questions and let people explain their lives to him if i was writing this book have not spoken to anybody and written the worst book of all
3: time (laughs) (laughs) and this person was racist so i didn't talk to him yeah. yeah, there was another guy
1: on, on at the Shiloh battlefield. He looked weird. I didn't talk to him anyway.
3: <laughs> I, I'm
0: more aligned with uh, the protagonist in our next book, who shows up at Bath and knows nobody, and just is like, shoot, and just stands on the side of a ball. <laughs> yep. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm much more of a. It, of it's a not even talk to people. Like he signs up for these weird events where it's like, hey, we're doing this like 20 mile march where we're not going to clean like the whole time, or we're going to be carrying chickens. Do you want to come? It's like, yeah, all right.
0: Well, yeah, I guess he is a journalist, though, so it's like, that sounds like a good story, whereas, I don't know. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe we'll get into this in his facts, but he's like a former, like, war area correspondent who's used to bullets going around his head, so maybe he just has a a certain level of adrenaline tolerance that is not Mm. (laughs) mine. And I will say just one last pro, like as somebody who had the same like toys he was talking about, like the Union and Confederate soldier, like plastic armament that I would make fight and who watched Gettysburg a bunch as a kid and who went to the Joshua Chamberlain Museum in Brunswick, Maine. um, It was interesting to see sort of the natural or not natural, the unnatural Expansion that some people have taken that initial like childlike obsession to and so it it rekindled in me uh, sort of like Oh, yeah, I remember when I used to just read about civil war battles for a while So it was interesting to see that aspect of um, of weird fandom of something that I don't think people should really be fans of.
3: It's weird because like Gettysburg was one of the first movies I've ever seen. I remember watching it with my dad with like the newspaper article that shows like the whole map of the fight and everything and like being obsessed with the civil war as a kid. That's kind of why he involves this. Like I used to be obsessed as a civil war as a kid. And then I stopped. Why is that? And I think that is a huge swath of like the population of dads Mm -hmm. (laughs) that like why are we so obsessed with it and i think that's the one time he kind of dives a lot into his personality is like trying to figure out what's so interesting about it he he is really nice about it like he explains i totally get the romanticized version of the civil war and there's reasons for the romanticized version of the civil war and he doesn't come down really hard saying like we need to stop this once and for all but it is like we have to figure out a way to kind of teach this because okay. we can't right
2: now yeah I just want to go back to a small detail you dropped there, like it was nothing, Dylan, where you said Gettysburg was the first movie you ever saw on VHS. That was, yeah. your, that VHS. was your phrase. No, no, I Whoa. remember like
3: when I was four watching it. No, when did it come out? It, I remember <laughs> it being a big deal, and I thought one that everyone had seen that movie. So I went to elementary school thinking that everyone watched it over the weekend. It's like, nope. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I was going to say, clearly this has captured Dylan's imagination. (laughs) And if you had any sort of affection for researching or learning about the Civil War, this book is definitely for you. Oh, yeah. A a few orcs to throw in the mix. Um, Not every story or chapter had the same impact, really. And uh, I think the book suffered a little bit from being front-loaded with some of the most compelling stories. Each vignette stands on its own, and they're all interesting, but I do think that the first half is a little better than the second half. And so that's part of why I kind of struggled to finish it. I was like, okay, I'm sort of getting some of the same notes hit Mm -hmm. towards the tail end of the book. And especially because they're different people, he still has to give them all their like sort of full due. But it's like, I've sort of also seen people like that earlier on. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And unfortunately there was like a bit of an element where it fell a little bit into sort of that weird realm of being really, really interesting but also not like demanding that I continue reading it. Because there's just, I mean, there's not that urgency to it. Um, And then the last sort of thought I wanted to bring in, which is sort of an elf slash orc. It's an elf for the content that I'm reading, but an orc for maybe society as a whole. (laughs) And I've I've touched on it a little bit here, which is just that this was written in 1998, or it was published in 1998. And it, it felt alarmingly current. That's Mm. 23 years ago. I think that the themes in here and the entrenchments in here have only gotten worse. And that's, I mean, I'll say it affected me. It made me sad to think like the people in here (laughs) don't even have social media yet. Wait till you see that wow. and see how much that's going to make things worse. Yeah, The
0: people in there now have 23 year old sons and daughters that also believe all this. Yeah. It sounds like it's important to read, but hard to read. Like, what's the word disheartening? I don't know. Maybe that's too underselling it.
1: Well, it's tough because the book itself isn't disheartening, mm-hmm. but looking at it, knowing you're 23 years in the future, yeah. Yeah. it becomes disheartening. Yeah, Yeah. I was glad to have read it. It was a fun to jump back into nonfiction after a little bit of a layoff from it. And I gave the book four stars. And I recommend reading it, especially if these themes sound interesting to you. Awesome.
0: Four nice. stars. Nice. Um, that just reminds me, one of our loyal pagos, Brent, um, DM'd me on Instagram to let me know that there's a new Goodreads equivalent um, where that you can give half stars to books. So, oh, I mean, what? game changer. No, what?
3: no. We're all sticking with solid what? stars. Mm. What is it? It's called
0: Storygraph. Yeah. This is completely separate from Confederates in the Attic, but I'll just say for Storygraph, I'm in the process of moving over to it. The Half Stars will be an adjustment, but it has really good recommendations and like narrows down your wheelhouse and what genres you like. So much better than Goodreads, which are all, Goodreads is like, how about Infinite Jest? And I'm like, no. And it's like, Infinite
2: Jest? Goodreads recommendations, strangely enough, is like your friend who doesn't really read, but wants to recommend you books. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Have you heard of Infinite Jest? It's like a book.
3: Toby's going to demand half stars and then it's a seed from the podcast. Oh, dark.
0: (laughs) Um, Well, Toby, do you have any facts on Tony Hurwitz, the author of this book?
2: I do. I do. Thank you for asking. Um, actually, I was looking for these facts, um, and I sadly found that uh, Tony Horberts passed away in 2019. Um, so these facts are pulled from his obituary in the New York Times, uh, written by Sam Roberts. Uh, one of the first things that's mentioned is that um, his wife was Geraldine Brooks. Um, she is also a New York Times bestselling author of fiction. She wrote The People of the Book, uh, which I have read, among other books, which I have not read. <laughs> Uh, so this is from the, uh, the obituary. Anthony Lander Horwitz was born June 9th, 1958 in Washington, uh, the son of Dr. Norman Horwitz, a neurosurgeon, and Eleanor Horwitz, a writer. Dr. Horwitz was part of the team that successfully operated in 1981 on Officer Thomas Delante, who was shot in the attempted assassination of President Ronald Reagan. When he was six years old, Tony learned that his 101-year-old great-grandfather, an immigrant from Tsarist Russia, had become an American Civil War buff. Uh, So did Tony's father, and Tony became one, too. His Confederates in the Attic, he wrote, portrayed the war as a Rorschach test of, quote, all sorts of unresolved strife over race, sovereignty, the sanctity of historic landscapes, and who should interpret the past. Hmm. Yeah. While reporting in the Middle East, he lay down on a battlefield to block Iraqi earth movers from burying Iranian soldiers in mass graves so that their comrades might claim their bodies, the financial journalist Michael Lewis recalled, and the two of them were good friends. He endured a sweat lodge in the Pacific for four hours, all the while feeling as if he were being cooked alive because, he told an interviewer at Ohio State University in 2009, quote, I think it's the sickness of writing that however horrible the experience is, some little voice inside is saying, yeah, but this is going to be a great story, which I think uh, Bailey picked out even though she didn't read his book. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, Mr. Horowitz was a gifted interviewer. In Confederates in the Attic, he engaged the only living Confederate widow at the time in a conversation about the future, in which she predicted, quote, if it's like it's usually being, it won't be so good. And for his latest book, uh, Following in Olmstead's Footsteps, he, quote, got the drift of things in the South by cultivating sources in after-hours interviews in dive bars from the Potomac River to the Rio Grande. Quote, last week I saw my cardiologist, Mr. Horowitz wrote in the Times last month. He told me I drink too much. Mr. Horowitz acknowledged his occupational hazard, but made a case for what he called bar stool democracy. His sojourn in the South, he said, had him discarding stereotypes and seeing blue collar conservatives as, quote, the three dimensional individuals I drank and debated with in factory towns, oil fields and distressed rural crossroads, close quote. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, seems like a, a stand-up guy. And I will say, my research on him is a little skinny, only to give uh, a little bit more time to the literary heavy hitter that we have coming up next. Stone Cold Jane Austen. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, that is Tony Harwitz and Confederates in the Attic, four stars. And leading right into entering the ring, stone cold Jane Austen.
1: Wow, <laughs> just imagine Jane Austen smacking two beers together and chugging them.
0: <laughs> yeah, I love it. All right. Yes. So I did read a book. I think you guys both read it too. <laughs> it is Northanger Abbey by Jane Austen. Jane Abbey, and Jane Abbey, Abbey, Abbey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, so this one, I thought of a cheeky way to summarize the plot, which is Catherine's got a crush, but I'm going to give a little more. (laughs) Give a little more. Um, This book follows a protagonist, heroine, Catherine Moreland. She is living in England. Who's kind of a plain girl who, as Austin says in the beginning, no one would expect to be a heroine, who um, is obsessed with novels, specifically gothic horror novels. Um, And she enters the social scene and starts to meet People in Bath making friends, having crushes, um, getting guys interested in her. But then suddenly it's a gothic horror novel. Very suddenly. Yeah. That's me jumping ahead a bit to my review. How else would you describe it, Toby Andrew?
2: I saw somebody um, comment on our Instagram that, I don't know, it had like a YA feel to it. And I kind of agreed with that. I suppose a lot of her protagonists, well, you guys wouldn't know this because you haven't read any, but her protagonists often are young. But Catherine, especially in this, is extremely young, like naive to the extreme, which obviously Austen plays for great comedic effect, which I really enjoyed.
1: Yeah. And also, Jane Austen has a real bone to pick about how people think of novels. Yeah, Mm -hmm.
0: definitely. (laughs) She's got things to say.
1: Yeah. No, it was fun. I I think this was kind of a weirdly, despite it not being maybe her most popular, a weirdly fun way to be introduced to Jane Austen's style of writing. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I agree. I'm excited to read more. This one, my understanding is it's the first novel or one of the first that she wrote, although it was published posthumously.
2: Well, back up off on my research, Bailey. Sorry, Jeez. sorry. Well, my, she died. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> so I definitely got the sense that she was still figuring it out, or at least... When I was reading it, I was having a hard time figuring out what her goals were, because it starts off very like, I guess, comedy of manners, you would call it. Um, Northanger Abbey, mm-hmm. the title, isn't mentioned until halfway through. Um, so I was joking with Andrew when we were reading it. I was like, does anything happen in this book? And then all of a sudden, like I alluded to, in the second part, she travels to this abbey and sort of imagines that she's in this gothic horror story. Um, But it was just sort of an abrupt switch. And then in the end, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, but let's tie up all these romantic subplots. So it felt like Austin was still figuring out, plotting, um, and trying to figure out what tone she wanted. I don't know if you guys had the same sense.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. It definitely felt like a
2: first novel yeah yeah i've only ever read um pride and prejudice and you know i think it's fun that you guys were introduced to this one because it's not a spoiler to say pride and prejudice is leaps and bounds better than this one. I still enjoyed it, um, but this whole book, and it's kind of a mini review here, is like you see when she's talking about the comedy of manners, when she's doing kind of like romantic plots and kind of making fun of people and making fun of romance, but at the same time kind of hooking you along and you are curious how the romance is going to work out, the book absolutely shines. And you're like, wow, she's really good at this stuff. And then other parts of the book, like the kind of parts where she's making fun of gothic novels, it's still quite good, but it just doesn't have the magic that can have you flying through the pages of the romantic stuff and the the social commentary stuff.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. So that's my main orc with it, which just feels uneven. But my main elf was I loved just sort of the YA energy and the characterization, because it's (laughs) funny to watch people from this time period act like the way I did when I was a teenager, to the extent where I started cringing thinking about things I did when I was a teenager. I'll read one quote that alludes to that. There's a long discussion between Catherine, our heroine. She's got a crush. She's got a crush on a guy named Henry Tilney. And she learns that Henry's sister's in town. And she wants to make friends with Henry's sister to get closer <laughs> to Henry, which is 100% something I would have done at the time. Um, and so she has this conversation. And she's like, so like, who's Henry dancing with the other day? Like, How's Henry? And, <laughs> and then at the end, uh, Austin writes, this civility was duly returned and they parted on miss tilney's side with some knowledge of her new acquaintance's feelings and on catherine's without the slightest consciousness of having explained them
2: mhm <laughs>
0: you think that you're being really coy and being like, so, you know, what's up with your brother or what's up with your friend? Um, But really, it's very clear why you're asking. Um, And I just want to share sad Bailey fact, which is that when I was in high school, a freshman in high school, I had a crush on an upperclassman and his mom was my history teacher. And so one time, I know, Uh, no, no. It, it hurts. It hurts. I called her because I wanted to like pick up the homework and I was like, I can stop by and get it. She's like, no, you can you can just get it tomorrow at school. But I wanted to like <laughs> go to his house to, oh my God. <laughs> anyway, oh, it was man. very, very Catherine Moreland
2: energy. I just imagine, like, she, like, maybe her son was super handsome, and, like, just she was just fielding calls from all these people who are like, I could come over and get the homework if you wanted me to. It's no (laughs) problem. I'm glad that you mentioned, like, that specific quote, Bailey, because one of the things I enjoyed too is how, at times, a little mini orc was that. Catherine's naivete was almost a little bit grating. Like sometimes she really is real dumb. Yeah. Like dumb pat like even for the times, I think Austin is supposed to say, like, she's even naive according to the times. Uh, but a lot of like the main characters give her a lot of credit and are very kind of kind to her about it and seem to enjoy kind of her innocence. Um, I don't know. I thought it was redeeming. I thought it, it was it was sweet in a way.
0: Yeah, I agree. I thought Um, there's, you know, I'm not going to do any spoilers for this very old novel, but at one point it's revealed that two characters confess their love for each other. And it's like, duh, duh, Catherine. Yeah. (laughs) And she's like, I had no idea. Yeah, Um, Catherine
2: is shocked by everything.
0: So, uh, yeah, that was a fun thing. Um, I really love that. I thought the humor is really there. Sometimes it takes a bit because, you know, the writing is old fashioned. It isn't necessarily, you know, using slang terms of the day. But when you read it and you're paying attention, and you're flying through the pages. There's some really good zingers in there that are really funny. Um, there are some characters that were really fun um, and they were particularly like the villain characters. Like I uh-huh. loved the character. What's his name? Um, John Thorpe is that his john
2: name? i knew you were gonna say john <laughs> he's
0: just so clueless and he he's a character who is pursuing our heroine Catherine, and she clearly has no interest in him but he keeps going yeah. and it was fun it was fun Talks to talk about
2: his carriage all the time yeah he's he like loves, his <laughs> loves his carriage
0: loves his carriage
2: you know you can watch an
1: adaptation oh, really? of this with felicity jones as Catherine uh-huh. and carrie mulligan as isabella and j.j field as uh Henry.
0: Uh, Henry. Ooh. Yeah, Henry Tilney. That's awesome. I'm going to watch that. Yeah, so so in general, I really enjoyed it. My interest is piqued for the rest of the Austins because I think this might be my least favorite of the ones based on what I know about the other books on my shelf. Um, with that said, I'm excited. Like, the characterization... The I want to say energy, the humor Uh is there and I just want to, you know, get a tighter plot. So ultimately I'm going to give it, I'll go between three and four. I'll give it four stars just because, no, I'm going to give it three stars. What about you guys?
1: I came down on three stars as well, um, mostly like similar to you. I feel like there are going to be Jane Austen novels I like more than this. So I didn't want to only be able to go to five stars, but I genuinely enjoyed reading it. I was really happy to do it. And yeah, I had the genuine like cringy reactions to something that I would associate more with watching like a, a current uh, high school drama was something that I found really powerful. So I'm, I'm excited to see where this goes. Totally.
2: Nice. Yeah. I, wow. This is a very rare occurrence. I gave it four stars. I'm the highest rater. I think it just really hit me. And I, I, you know, again, read it on audiobook. So maybe that is a different experience. I did it, you know, while I was doing a lot of stuff. I think I was moving out of L.A. at the time. So I had, I don't know, maybe in parts where it dragged, uh, I was doing stuff. Um, But I did want to say, I think you guys are probably the only people literally in history to read Northanger Abbey first (laughs) out of all, because it's just such a, it's just known as like, you know, a minor work. Uh, especially compared to the the real powerhouses in her oeuvre, I mean,
3: maybe in other her parts of her are, her friends, her family, her loved ones, like here's my first novel.
2: That's true. That's true. Speaking of her friends and family <laughs> and people who read her novel, I did some research.
0: Oh wow! I mean, I I had i know nothing about this woman. Tell me about uh, what's it Jane Austen?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, one time, I went to the Jane Austen Museum in Bath, England. So I pretty much know all this stuff. Uh Uh-oh. It was basically half a museum to her and half a museum to Colin Firth as Mr. Darcy.
2: (laughs) Oh, no. Um, Yeah, so, you know, I I did uh, some research, and I have a fair amount of stuff here. But to be honest, I picked and chose kind of sporadically because, as we said, we have so many Jane Austen novels on this list that I know we're going to be doing another one. So if things seem a little scattershot, um, so what? Honestly, that's
1: the best. That's what this whole tradition was born out of. Weird facts about authors.
2: I agree, Toby. You You do you. So, Jane Austen, uh, born 16th of December, 1775, died 18th of July, 1817. Uh, She was primarily known for her six major novels, which interpret, critique, and comment on the British landed gentry at at the end of the 18th century. Her use of biting irony along with her realism, humor, and social commentary have long earned her acclaim among critics, scholars, and popular audiences alike. During her lifetime, uh, she published Sense and Sensibility in 1811, Pride and Prejudice in 1813, Mansfield Park in 1814, and Emma in 1816. So she achieved moderate success during her lifetime. Um, She also wrote two other novels, Northanger Abbey and Persuasion, both were published posthumously in 1818, and she began another uh, that was eventually titled Sanditon, but died before its completion. Mm-hmm. There's actually very little biographical information about Jane Austen's life, except for a few letters that survived and a couple notes that her family members wrote. Um... During her lifetime, she wrote a ton of letters, up to as many as 3,000 letters, but only 161 survived. Uh, Most of the letters were written to her older sister, Cassandra, but Cassandra herself in 1843 burned the greater part of them and cut pieces out of the ones that she kept. (laughs) Ooh. Well, she destroyed and censored her sister's letters to prevent their falling into the hands of relatives and ensuring that younger nieces did not read any of Jane Austen's sometimes acid or forthright comments on neighbors or family members. So basically, Jane Austen burned her family so righteously that her sister was like, ooh, even for posterity.
0: She burned her family so much that her sister burned the letters. I my, <laughs> Exactly. My first thought was that, you know, she had some like, lurid affair or something and that's what she was trying to hide but no it was just her being catty and i love it
2: no just righteous burns (laughs) from the age of 11. Uh, and maybe even earlier, uh, Jane Austen started to write poems and stories for her own amusement and for her family's amusement, uh, in these works that are referred to as her juvenilia, the early works, the details of daily life were exaggerated. Common plot devices were parodied and quote, stories are full of anarchic fantasies of female power, license, illicit behavior, and general high spirits according to scholar Janet Todd. The juvenilia are often, according to scholar Richard Jenkins, boisterous.
1: Good word. It's good that Richard Jenkins was able to take some time off of filming um, *Shape of Water* to yeah. throw that in there. <laughs>
2: yeah, good for him. Yeah, I mean, I'm glad we know what he thinks about that. Among these juvenilia uh, are a satirical, a satirical novel in letters titled *Love and Friendship*, when she was uh, written when she was 14, in which she mocked the popular novels of the time. The next year, she wrote *The History of England*. Uh, which was a manuscript of 34 pages that was accompanied by 13 watercolor miniatures by her sister, Cassandra, the one who burned all our letters later. Uh, Jane Austen's history uh, parodied popular historical writing, particularly Oliver Goldsmith's History of England, written in 1764, so take that, Oliver Goldsmith. Uh, there is speculation that not long after writing Love and Friendship, Austen de- decided to, quote, write for profit to make stories her central effort. And so when she was about 18 years old, Jane Austen began to write longer, more sophisticated works.
3: So basically she sold out.
2: Yeah, she started to sell out. Uh, Between 1793 and 1795, aged 18 to 20, uh, Jane Austen wrote Lady Susan, which was a short epistolary novel, usually described as her most ambitious and sophisticated early work. It is unlike any of Austen's other works, which makes me really curious to read it. Uh, Austen biographer Claire Tomalin describes the novella's heroine as a sexual predator who uses her intelligence and charm to manipulate, betray, and abuse her lovers, friends, and family. The scholar writes, Told in letters, it is as neatly plotted as a play, and as cynical in tone as any of the most outrageous of the Restoration dramatists who may have provided some of her inspiration. Well, Um, so you know what's interesting is that when I selected this quote, I didn't realize, I forgot that you guys hadn't read a bunch of Austin works, so maybe it won't strike you as so strange. Uh, But for Pedro's who have read a bunch of books, I hope you're as intrigued as I am about like what that work is like. Definitely. And according to uh, a different uh, Austin scholar, the model for the title character in that work may have been Eliza de Feudé, Um, who inspired Austen with stories of her glamorous life and various adventures. Eliza's French husband was guillotined in 1794, and then Eliza married Jane's brother, Henry Austen, in 1797. So they were in-laws, basically. So that's a little bit, a a very little taste of Austen's life. We're going to have a whole smorgasbord later on this podcast about different books, maybe with more criticism. But that was pretty much what I could find about her early life, early work, and Northanger Abbey.
1: Yeah, good start. I'm excited to to learn more and also excited to read more.
0: Yay! Yay! Uh normally at this time um Andrew or Toby would do a game, but guess what? What? Special episode has a special guest to do the game. Hello! Oh no. <laughs>
3: Oh no, it's Jane Austen again. Just kidding. It's Dylan. Dylan made the game this week. It's me. I can make games too. It has nothing
1: to do with the fact that Andrew had to read two books this time and totally didn't manage his time well.
3: And move houses at the same time. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so this game is called Get Your Reenact Together because Jane Austen Mm. and Confederates in the Attic have one weird crossover, which is that people love dressing up as them.
1: That's true. And also, great game title. Okay,
3: so the way this game is going to work is that I spent a lot of time going through a bunch of different Civil War reenactments and a bunch of different Jane Austen reenactments and found a bunch of weird workshops, like demonstrations and events. Love it. And then I decided to make some of my own. So I'm going to go through all of them, and you're going to tell me which ones are real and which ones are fake. Okay.
2: So this will be like the name of a workshop or like a class?
3: Yep. And I'll explain what it is. So this is Get Your Reenact Together.
2: Woot woot. The
3: first event is the Little Miss General Ambassador's Children's Pageant. Held at the Raid on General Farm's Civil War reenactment, girls from 0 to 19 are judged in a pageant for period correctness, personality, presentation, and fit, and correctness of outfit in order to best represent the Raid on General's Farm. True or false? I'm going to say true. I'm going to say false. I'm going to say true. It is true. And you can still compete during your 20 to 30 with Miss Never Married Little General and 25 oh. plus of Mrs. Married General.
0: If I grew up Oof. and learned that I was entered that when I was
3: zero years old, I would be very upset. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> next... would crush it. Okay, next up. Bare Knuckle Brawl Demonstrations from Jane Austen Times. Is there a description? What? Professional martial artists... Demonstrate various <laughs> forms of pugilism that was expected to win the hand of a Jane Austen woman. False. Toby? Andrew? Uh, true. False. It is an actual event from the fifth annual Jane Austen Festival in Bath.
1: every butt in the world. I
3: also realized how unfair advantage Andrew just has. He read a book about civil war reenactments, and he's been to Jane Austen reenactments. Well, we're all
2: tied up now, so. I'm just imagining that class is like, hold one fist three feet from your face, and one fist right under your nose.
1: (laughs) Take that America, Jane Austen, for the win.
3: (laughs) <laughs> the art of the fan during Civil War ballroom dancing. Learn about the ways that people shared their thoughts secretly during formal dances during the Civil War. False. Um, I'm going to say true. True. This was held at the Albany Township Historical yes. Society. Yes.
1: I have a suspicion about what Dylan is doing. I think going to be a true
2: too.
3: Including Fanning quickly to mean I am engaged, or fanning slowly to mean I am married, or to quickly opening and shutting the fan, symbolizing you are cruel. Ooh, (laughs) I'm going to do that. I was tempted to make the entire game fan-based because there's 30 of them. (laughs) Next one. (laughs) Undressing the historical lady. A historian gives a guided tour of women's garments during Jane Austen's time by removing one item of clothing at a time and giving each item an in-depth explanation. I'm assuming it's clean. I assume they stop at a certain point. I'm going to say true. 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 This was held at the Jane Austen Festival <laughs> in Louisville, which apparently is a very big Jane Austen Festival. I did not know that. But it's also she hmm. performs this at a lot of different places.
1: Cool. So, Dylan, when are we going to just admit that all of these are
3: true?
0: Yeah. Dylan, I think we might have seen through your ruse. How dare you? <laughs>
3: Reenacting Civil, <laughs> reenacting Civil War battles has a long history. Reenacting Civil War battles has a long history as the Civil War itself. So come join a discussion with retired Civil War reenactment veterans portraying actual veterans reenacting the Battle of Gettysburg. True. True. False. It is false. <gasps> But yes, there were knew it. veterans that did reenactments, and I thought it'd be hilarious if they had veterans reenact that.
2: Wow. I, I think this might just come from knowing Dylan just a little bit longer than you guys. That is the most Dylan joke thing I've ever heard.
1: <laughs> so Toby has the win
3: here. Oh, dang. I think
2: I'm ahead by two. No, Toby, you're ahead
3: by one. Okay. All hmm. right. Okay. Navigating Tinder with Jane Austen. A Jane Austen reenactor or comedian goes through audience members' online dating prospects and offers wise advice.
1: True. It, true, because if this is false, someone should have done it.
3: Yeah. Yeah, true. True. Someone should have done it, right? But they didn't. <gasps> I know. No! Th- oh, no. <laughs>
0: I know they have Jane Austen improv.
3: Guys, I have a new idea for a podcast. Hello. <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, we shouldn't have put this on. We should have just started doing this. Uh,
0: Guys, I think Dylan switched it up. Dylan
3: is, you know, tricking us. Tricks. Tricks. Slavery, anti-slavery, and the Austin family. In order to address the current Black Lives Matter movement, an Austin scholar will explore the significance and extent of the extended Austin's family connection to the West Indian slave trade.
0: Yikes. Uh, True?
3: I mean, probably true. I don't want it to be. (laughs) False. Bad news, guys. It's true. Although apparently it's because her, and I'm sure we'll get to this with further facts, her father was involved in the slave trade kind of shipping, but her brothers were anti-slavery things? I don't know. I did not attend the lecture that was held by Professor Devonet Luser uh, for the Jane Austen Summer Program from Jane Austen & Co. Okay, great. So wait, we're tied now? (laughs) Toby and Andrew are tied with four. Billy has three for the final event. Uh-oh. Okay. All right. Civil War in Minecraft. Twins <laughs> will learn how to use the popular computer game to create a Civil War landscape and explore how and why battlefields were drawn. False.
1: Toby, what's your answer? I've had to say my answer before
2: you every time. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to say false. I'm going to say true just so we have a winner. Mm-hmm. Well, Andrew, you can brag about it
3: when you attend it at the new york historical society's camp history Uh, where not only is this like a one-time thing this is an entire summer program
0: wow
1: where kids learn
3: minecraft programming and civil war history at the same time
0: how many girls do you think attend that program oh it must be uh one and she's the
3: coolest person in the world
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh well congrats andrew andrew's the winner good
1: job andrew Thank you. I will say I was going to say true, so I I feel vindicated. I was thinking about getting a little strategic with my answer there. But
2: with that confession, you just won that game in classic Toby fashion, which is not being aligned at all to your true answer and just gaming the system as hard as you can.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, Dylan, I'm excited to see what's next on the podcast. It's time for you to shine again. It is time for Dylan to choose books at random from our shelves, it
3: is the choosing.
2: The choosing. The choosing. Oh
3: no. Well, you better get used to that voice. Cause Andrew, your words are coming back to bite you.
0: Uh-oh. With
3: number sixty-four, persuasion by Jane Austen. This legit <laughs> came up. And I, I first thought it's like, no, I can't do two in a row, but then I realized the numbers they dictate what happens. I think that's kind of yeah. fun. Yeah, no, hey. <laughs>
1: If it came up, it came up. We're doing it. Persuasion. Persuasion. Well, I'll read it,
0: too, because it's also on my list.
3: (laughs) I'll read it, too. I haven't read this one yet. Well, it's funny that the numbers align for that, because the numbers also align for real life in the fact that we're all spread out across the country, because, Bailey, you have number 131, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life, by Samantha Irby.
0: Oh, I'm really excited for this one. I'm going to have to restrain myself from then reading the other two Samantha Irby on my shelf. I'm so excited. This should be fun and funny and quick. So that's awesome. All right. So um, in two weeks on the podcast, I'll be reading We're Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby, and Toby will be reviewing Money by Martin Amos. Thanks for listening to The To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list Podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the Podcast, and on Instagram at the to read list Podcast.
1: And if you like what you heard today, uh, please take a moment and rate us five stars and leave us a review on your pod catcher of choice, specifically Apple Podcasts. It does weirdly help the algorithms and makes it so that more people can find us, like you could find your lover while walking the pump room in Bath yes. <laughs> in the late 1700s.
2: Yes. And if you're stranded in Northanger Abbey with your friend who's full of both pride and prejudice and devoid of sense and sensibility, use use your use your skills of persuasion to tell them to listen to our podcast which is my way of saying please tell your friends about this podcast
0: emma (laughs) (laughs) thank you to andrew and special guest toby for co-hosting the podcast with me to dylan for sound recording and to miss jillian beth turkey for composing our intro song see you in two weeks happy reading Books, Books, books 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 oh no